the theme for the afternoon uh, teachings is by way of a commentary on a poem and it's the poem that uh, Jayaji <laughs> read to us yesterday uh, afternoon <laughs> with the interesting title of In Front of His Wife. <laughs> and with the talk this afternoon I'd like to uh, read the, the poem and as uh, Jaya said there are several uh, depths to this uh, poem please forgive me if mine is superficial <laughs> um, uh, the, the other before I forget that um, uh, yesterday uh, uh, evening the, the privileged amongst us who have a little to eat in the, at 5.30 lost our privileges <laughs> and um, <coughs> Sabana and I and uh, Jeff and one or two others good manager uh, Chad and had what is called an upset stomach <laughs> So today, with the small group uh, meetings that I had, first one I had to cut short <laughs> to make the pilgrimage to the sacred place. <laughs> and with the second one, it only lasted for... Um, I was only there, I was doing standing meditation, <laughs> having to be ready for the sprint. <laughs> and after ten minutes, I had to make a hasty retreat there, and those of you who have been in India for a little while will know that sometimes the inner life of the body, <laughs> one has no idea which hand it will come out of, etc. So, six o'clock this morning was at the bottom end, and <laughs> midday, because everything was changing, it was the other end, etc. But no problems, we're all into letting go. So... <laughs> If it only happens in the toilet, it's a start. <laughs> this is what Jaya meant by insights in the toilet, isn't it? <laughs> I get it. Natural letting go takes place in the toilet. Right. So I'll, I'll read the poem. So the poem is by Mira, Mirabai. And uh, she... When did she leave? First half of the 16th First half of the 16th century, you'll remember it well. And, <laughs> and Mirabai was a, a princess in Rajasthan. Her husband died uh, uh, early, obviously a major change in her life, and the outcome of uh, all of this was a, an exploration of life, and an exploration which... She expressed herself through quite remarkable and extraordinary poetry. She also spoke up frequently uh, on behalf of uh, women in this uh, land. There were threats to her life, but nothing could stop her free expression and this remarkable poetry that comes uh, out of her. And I do recommend to you, while you are in India, to uh, read some of Mirabai's poetry. Extraordinary uh, tradition. And I had to say just uh, quickly with regard to this that it's not so long ago that the poem had enormous power. You and I might speak today of the power that the media has. But it's only a century ago that, and before that the poem communicated a, a, a great deal. And there are plenty of cases in various parts of the world where the poet has made a statement perhaps in metaphorical language, such as Mirabai, and the powers to be, the government, the leaders, the rulers, the despots, have seen this poem and have felt and known that this is a challenge to their position, their authority. This is the power of the poem. And Mirabai's communications uh, ex express that, and, and any poem which has genuine depth and insight, in a way, tells us something about our life. It informs us. 
in some way or other. And this is the beauty and the wonder and the, the mystery of uh, poetry. And the Buddhist tradition, to its everlasting credit, has never veered away from the poem as a powerful vehicle for transformation. And if one looks in the old texts uh, of the Buddha and of the great saints and sages over the generations, one will see remarkable verse, beautiful poems, short statements which inform us about life. Let's never underestimate the power of poetry. A great blessing in our life. And perhaps, some of us feel, I do certainly, but perhaps the poem, as the mode of language, is the nearest that one can come to truth via the poem, via the expressive word. <coughs> nearest, it touches a place beyond uh, the word, beyond the language, beyond the concept, as uh, Subhana was reminding us yesterday evening in one of the dialogues, going beyond the word, beyond the label. So, Mirabai. I tried controlling myself, but it did no good. My senses are aflame. I heard you singing. That started all my blessed madness. I openly made love with everything in sight last night and this morning. The constable showed up and wrote out 20 citations. I guess I should not have jumped naked on him in front of his wife, the hypocrite. He wouldn't have complained at all if we were alone. When we come into an environment uh, such as the one that we are in, there is often a wish, both here and elsewhere in life, to endeavour to exercise some control over our life. One of the means that we use for this, of course, uh, reflects and mirrors itself in the planning mind. And we find that within ourselves, we try to have control over circumstances, both within and without. Every time we get angry with somebody, we're trying to control them. Every time we're uh, in a state of uh, fear and we're reactive, we feel a situation is out of control. And in various ways, we have this idea, if I can improve and develop, I'll get greater control over my life and the outcome and the effect, the effect of all of this, that if I have control over my life, my life will be a lot easier. And so we easily, as human beings, endeavour to arrange our life so that it fits in with the way we would like it to be. There are no success stories. <laughs> the act of wishing to control places in the experience and in the moment, in it or behind it or underneath, underneath it, invariably some kind of fear. We then place some pressure upon ourselves, trying to keep control over a situation, control over another human being, control over ourselves. And we're forgetting and not realizing nor appreciating that the fear is modus operandi, is a significant influence in that. And it's alarming to us, and particularly for those of you who are first time in a meditation environment, that in just the simple activity of sitting and being relatively still for a short period of my time, or walking, how alarming it is to realize how difficult it is to be steady because the mind is, seems, experienced as completely out of control. And one has no idea in the movement into the meditation hall or the movement out of it what state of mind will arise. And so one can come 
and in sitting in the hall, the view easily arises at the end of it, oh, I can't meditate. It's not good for me. It's not working out for me. Common view. The four days go by, there is some willingness and uh, application, five days are going by, and application, and the mind doesn't cooperate with the intention. The mind doesn't cooperate with the intention. The intention is to be still, and one feels very fidgety. The intention is to be calm, and one has never felt so restless in all of one's life. The intention is to be focused, present moment, <coughs> what's that? <laughs> so the inner life engages with the experience of this is going on and finds that it borders on the miracle if the intention and the event are working together it's a miracle some people <coughs> if they if they or you experience two consecutive breaths this is the nearest to nirvana you'll ever get <laughs> I tried controlling myself but it did no good my senses are aflame the Buddha <coughs> made the same conclusion so we're in good company in the first talk he gave he talked about the middle way in, in Saranath where uh, Jaya and uh, I and all of you would be coming of course <laughs> without exception and in the first talk he gave a talk in the middle way and he said men and women of the earth are caught up in two extremes one extreme is self-anguidizement just thinking about oneself me, 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 I, I, I the maximization of pleasure what I want, what I want this, this boosting inflating uh, feeding of the self through ownership through having through ideas of self-importance through ego, etc. and the other extreme which human beings are trapped in is the one of self-rejection, self-hate, putting oneself down. We heard in the inquiry a couple of nights ago the very common syndrome. And we easily polarise <laughs> ourselves between one and the other. Either the need to boost oneself up, impress others, or putting ourselves down. And we're trying to find out, is there a middle way between these two? The second talk that the Buddha gave was on the same statement of Mirabai I am a flame flame, fire and in the discourse of the Buddha is that because all this is going on with us in a way we're kind of burning up we get heated over the smallest things and so something that we see hear, smell taste, touch feel or think about how easily we flame up over and we know when we're angry, when we're negative <coughs> when there's a lack of love we actually say of ourself or of, a, of, of another human being we are burning up inside and it's true we are burning up and sometimes that burning up is burning up and the anger comes to the eyes, ears, nose taste, touch burn up inside and as um, Mirabai says with all of this I tried controlling myself but it did no good my senses are aflame and sometimes we're burning up with desire. The syndrome in life where there are the eyes and there's the object and this 
is what I want. And the mind is burning up with the wanting for. We make comments about the beggars out there. We human beings, we the well-educated, we with money in our pocket, we who can travel, we who can get on the aeroplanes, etc., and all the privileges that we have, we forget. We are beggars at the sense doors. Constantly wanting, desiring, pursuit of satisfaction in the objects somewhere. And so one says, Mirabai says, our senses then become a flame. This is how we live. And of course, when that burning up inside of us is going on, and when things, there's lack of wisdom, and when we're trying to control things, it seems to accelerate it. It seems to get worse for us. And sometimes you and I in the retreats, we have to ask ourselves a really deep, simple question. Do I want to live like this? Do I want to live like this? Burning up with anger, burning up with desire. She goes on. I heard you, capital Y, singing. You want to hear me singing? No, no, I tell you. I don't even chant. It's a nightmare. I heard you singing. That started all my, key word here, blessed madness. Blessed madness. Rather lovely. What might Mirabai mean? Some, some of us, some of you in the hall here, especially here in uh, um, um, Budgaya, there's the madness which arises, as I say, mind is chaotic, oh, I can't meditate, nobody else can meditate, they're just sitting still, they're just trying to impress everybody. <laughs> Etc. And you see the syndrome of it in the hall, regularly. And someone's feeling really agitated, burning up with irritation, boredom, agitation, etc. And the person's looking around. <laughs> Who do they think they are? Or the other view that easily arises, everybody else can do it except me. Everybody else is probably walking in and out of Nirvana, morning, noon and night. <laughs> And it's only, only me who's miserable. <laughs> so then this person's posture then slumps. Like this. And a moment or two later, somebody else is looking around the hall. <laughs> the room is full of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and great Arahants. And says, oh, it's just me. <laughs> You are not alone. <laughs> all right. I heard you singing. That started all my blessed madness. Sometimes, and you may, may look, you may reflect a little bit in your life. <coughs> know some of you and some of you know Christopher. And there have been points and turning points <coughs> in our life. And then that turning point, whatever it might be, it may be a sudden realization, it might be a, a great insight, painful divorce, a terrible personal tragedy, one doesn't know. And sometimes nothing specific and concrete that we can't actually recall some event, but something greater than being a beggar at the sense stores through life. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. Something touched us in some way. I, in the personal language of the poetry of Mother India, I heard you singing. And this started my blessed madness. Beautiful, beautiful. And some, some of you, some of us, If one talks to others in the conventional world, they will assume 
you're all mad. Period. Mad to leave your home country. Mad to go from the comfortable environment of Delhi or wherever they live. <laughs> mad, most of all, to come to Bihar. Even more mad to come to the Thai monastery. Even more mad to be male and living under that hell realm. <laughs> <laughs> And a cup of tea and an old apple for 5.30. So from any conventional perception, it's a madness. Apart from the fact of sitting still, and being in silence and no one to share and communicate with, etc., etc., one could do a huge long list of all these expressions of a blessed madness. Sometimes, I have heard you singing, you say. Sometimes, despite everything, despite the confusion from the parents and the friends, and they went, what the hell do you want to come here? <laughs> I remember, a small example, when I was a monk in Thailand, my <laughs> mother, who often said more Catholic than the Pope, even the, <laughs> that includes the present one, and uh, she was desperately keen, I'd been away seven or eight years in the East India and Thailand, and she was desperately keen for me to return home. So I wrote her a question. I asked questions. And I said, what would you prefer? Me? Happy? And a monk? In the forest in Thailand? Or? Miserable? As a journalist? In London? What would you prefer? She wrote back, miserable, as a journalist in London. True. So sometimes, for others, we should agree with them that they think we are mad. They are right. May it be a blessed madness. May it be a blessed madness. And may, no matter what time or age we are in life, may not forget it. And not to sell our soul, so to speak. And it's an enormous challenge, and all of us, teachers, yogis, meditators alike, we genuinely need the real support of each other to remind us there is something more to life than I, me, my, and the pursuit of pleasure and security. Something profoundly more significant. And, we have, and it's a challenge to keep faith with that blessed madness. I openly made love with everything in sight last night and this morning. This is nice. Everything. The other evening, afternoon, I made some um, <coughs> reference to uh, uh, love, as Sabana and uh, Jayadu. And one of the expressions of change here in, with regard to this, is how easy and often it can be that in the expressions of uh, love, we can easily feel and think of it in its most personalized form, one-to-one. -one. And there is something challenging and precious, and I referred to how personal relationships uh, sometimes have been the most uh, difficult areas of, of our life, dealing with a personal relationship there. But the heart, 
as the uh, teachings and as the Buddha, as we know from our experience, is it's immense, it's huge. It is able to accommodate a tremendous amount of diversity. There. And whether we are in relationship or not in relationship, there can be this fullness and opening of the heart where one has a genuine sense of making love to everything. And when the heart isn't obstructed with the flames of desire, with anger and reactivity, something in the depth of our beingness can move through that it begins to fill all of the senses. The love permeates eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, feeling and so on. It permeates it. And that permeation of it brings about an extraordinary intimacy. As Sabana said in the tradition, intimacy and enlightenment, intimacy and realization are same material. And it's not just to experience that once, as she says, in the night <coughs> and in the morning. And I would say with regard to presence here, sitting, walking, standing. If there are moments in your experience where the sense of love is merging through, we're experiencing the sense of love, in its expanded sense, drop your methods, drop your technique, drop the form, drop trying to control your mind, drop trying to be here and now, drop, 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 drop. Let the love express. Feel the love. And just let one be with that. And sometimes that natural, spontaneous love which is emerging, true love, metta, true love, genuinely feels eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, thoughts, feelings, past, present, future. The consciousness is filled with love and therefore there's a sense of intimacy making love with everything. It would be great pity in our life if we don't know the touch of that and the, uh, the sweetness of it. I go to um, Israel, Middle East and uh, Palestine and these are there. Just looking at the newspaper and I saw that um, sideways uh, step but I'll get back. That um, uh, Hamas, this political organization with its questionable, very questionable, tragic wing uh, has been uh, elected. And uh, immediately the US government says, okay, we're not going to give aid despite a democratic vote to this uh, organization. We're not going into all, all of it. And in one of the meetings it sticks in my mind and one a few a few months ago person from Hamas was at the meeting and sometimes there are points in one's life and, things. and in Nablus came to the meeting this was pre-Sharon time Israelis and Palestinians he kept very quiet he was with a friend and then I think it was maybe afternoon or the second day of the meeting he suddenly said I have something I want to say and everybody wanted to hear what he had to say he said Israeli soldiers and Mossad etc come into our land and kill, assassinate <coughs> from the air and from the ground our citizens Therefore, we have the right to inflict the same on them. But then he said, there is another voice inside of me. And this other voice inside of me says, how could we possibly do this? How could we put 
ammunition, tie it to a woman or a man's body, go into another country and kill civilians. And he said, then he said, I have a question. Which voice do I listen to? And sometimes in the matters of love, you and I in various ways at times can find ourselves at a point, at a crossroad. Do I engage in reaction, revenge, blame with the word, with the deed? Or do I look deeper to see what is, what is a way to respond with love? Cutting off aid to Palestinians is not going to generate love. So then, Midway goes on. <coughs> the constable showed up and wrote out 20 citations. Constable is a police officer. Citations are... Uh, uh, what's it? Eh? Tickets. Like a parking ticket. One person said today, I've been doing, generating some love, some loving kindness, etc., and while engaged in that for oneself and for other, uh, uh, others, some anger and blame and negativity came up. <coughs> of course, if in life we give care and attention to one area of the heart called love, the probability it must, I say must, in the nature of things, reveal equally what is not love. It has to. Because one will confirm the other. If we say to you, as we do with mantra-like enthusiasm, be here and now. And we go on about it, morning, noon and night, till you're sick to death of hearing it. <laughs> one will notice how often one is not here and now. The very emphasis on the one moment to moment of meditation is giving the opportunity for the not here and now to stand out. Oh my God, I'm daydreaming. I'm fantasizing so much. I'm indulging all these memories. I'm, I'm planning out the rest of my life. Or at least washing the clothes in the bucket in the morning. <laughs> And all of that, all of, all of that, if there's only one person I wouldn't say it, but I know it's an epidemic. <laughs> so all of that shows, wow, the mind in its movement, how often and frequent it is going backwards and forwards because one has accelerated and emphasized and encouraged us to be in this moment in order to be, be clear about what is not being in this moment. And then, in comes the, the policeman. The constable showed up and wrote out 20 citations. The policeman within us hangs around rather a lot. <laughs> and again, in the commitment of the exploration, the voice of controlling authority will arise about what is going on. Has to. It's not just the policeman. <laughs> Judge, jury, prosecutor, <laughs> defence lawyer <laughs> and sentence. So when we move the attention into any area of experience 
what accompanies that event is the policeman with 20 citations 20 reasons why one is doing it wrong 20 reasons why one's whole life has been one long mistake 20 20, uh, reasons for not doing it but the judge it wouldn't be so bad or the policeman if it was just with oneself but the same movement in the inner life of the voice, the negative voice of authority arises and it goes anywhere. Any poor devil. VV, Vipassana, villain. Villains. Sometimes it's everybody. All, without exception. That if one could, one would get everybody. 20 citations <laughs> pointing out what's wrong with them. <laughs> and any reason person drops their spoon in the queue <laughs> God they're so unmindful they should be thrown out of the retreat. Somebody leaves their shoe, touching somebody else's shoe. (laughs) I've never been so violated in all my life. trying to think of something else you'd probably think of some good ones <laughs> person coughs in the, in, the, in the hall they should be smothered <laughs> anything the policeman arises within points the accusing finger has a citation in the hand with a whole list of reasons we do it to others and we do it to ourselves all conflict all war all violence, all aggression, all hatred, without exception, all started because someone believed in a negative moment and built on it. Someone believed in it and built on it. The nightmare of our species is this endless, tragic, terrible violence that takes place because we haven't had the wisdom or the willingness just to stop and look at this judge and what it inflicts on this world or what it inflicts on ourselves. When I was in Nablus two or three months ago Rauda uh, an Italian uh, peace prize quite remarkable woman it was her son who I've known since birth son's birthday 11 years of age and just a few months before Nablus is in a valley just a few months before the children were playing outside, as boys would do, 8, 9, 10, 11 years of age. And there was a curfew. Had to be in by 6 p.m. Curfew from the, uh, the Israeli military. And the boy came in the house. They stayed, and the children stayed a few minutes later. And the boy came in the house, and he couldn't see out of one eye. And the mother said to the boy, can't see out of one eye what's the problem what's, what's the and the boy wouldn't say because if he said the mother would stop him going out to play so the mother went to find the other next day after the curfew in daylight hours went to find other children found out what happened and an Israeli sniper in the hill 
had fired, because he'd gone past the curfew time, at the boy. And what had happened was, the bullet had just missed the eye. But it was so close to the eye, the heat of the bullet damaged the nerve endings. So the boy couldn't see. And the children said, this is that, and the bullet just missed him by a fraction. And Rauda, naturally, was very distressed with all of this. And her husband, husband spent 16 years in the, as a political prisoner. And talked with Rauda. I said, what did you do, Rauda? What did you do? She said, well, we went to the hospital. We saw two eye specialists. And the two eye specialists said, there's nothing you can do, Rauda. Your son has lost his eye. Uh, the, the, the bullet was so close it burnt the eye the vibration from the bullet so she went to an alternative doctor homeopath and the homeopath said to her what I want you to do is to cover the other eye for at least six hours a day. And of course the young boy said, go fight his mother. Cover the good eye to see if he can get the eye with the damaged nerve endings to reconnect. Six hours every day for the next two or three months. So the boy would be at home blind. And that was the only possibility, the only what was offered. This young eleven year old, son of Ibrahim and Rauda, two months later, he woke up one morning and he could see. What was very touching to me with Rauda and her husband, there was no anger to the one who fired the gun. No anger to the one who ordered the firing. And I think sometimes in these situations of life, the critical ones and the easier ones, the poet reminds us, love must go in all directions. We must find an intimacy greater than our reactivity. So we had a lovely birthday evening. With the uh, Palestinian friend and one Israeli friend who had a foreign passport who could come with me up to one in the morning discussing dealing with suffering. Constable showed up and wrote out 20 citations. I guess I should not have jumped naked on him in front of his wife. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever done that. I have never, never, never happened to me, thank God. <laughs> this issue of the judge, the police officer, It's terribly easy to bring the police officer against the police officer. Get it? It's terribly easy to say, oh my God, I'm, there's such a strong judge inside of me. I'm judging others. I'm judging myself. I'm judging everybody. I'm judging India. I'm judge, 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 judge. And another judge or another police officer comes in and says, I shouldn't be judging. The there is a judgment being made about judging. There's no release this way. To, for the thought to arise, I should not be judging, this judgment is the problem. This is as much an issue. And we're caught, and the horns of the dilemma were caught, in judging, reacting against judging, we're trapped in this. Let's go naked. What is this extraordinary phenomena 
of the self that arises with the judgmental mind or the giving out negative views to citations. Let's, let's take an interest in this. Let's allow a little bit more closeness and intimacy with this. Let's feel this one through. Because someone said it haunts our life. And perhaps if we approach the policeman in us, the controller, the judge, and just take a closer interest in this phenomenon and not give the authority that we're used to. It's just something emerging out of the situation which is not telling us anything about anything. It's not telling us anything about ourselves, nor anything about anybody else. It's just a strange, quirky phenomena. And do you know the cure? L O V E. Love. (laughs) 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 To find the heart and to Can I bring love to this? The rabbi from Nazareth, I'm a big fan of, said, love thy neighbour as thyself. Great one-liner. The love thy neighbour as thyself. To love thyself is to live free from prosecution free from the persecutor within, free from this tendency we have to control and put down ourselves or others, to live a life free from that. We go naked, take an interest. We remind ourselves, this judge inside of me is just an old habit pattern. It's not telling me anything authentic. I don't have to believe this. I just love it as part of myself. And the softer and clearer we are, the greater the capacity for it to lose its authority. So then the authority can be loved. Sometimes in areas of love, give you a little personal situation. Some, some of you will, will know. You've been in a relationship and then the relationship has gone past in time and some it flows very, very well and others it's rather impermanent. Like a, a friend of mine, she telephoned me, she's a yoga teacher, she was here last year, a yoga teacher in London. Said, I'm just about to give a, a workshop on relationships, but I don't really don't think I should be, be doing it, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> and I said, that gives you the authority. <laughs> if you're good at it, then I'd be concerned, you've had a very long, happy relationship. You may only have it with one person, and it, but others who have had different relationships in their field of love sometimes have a lot of natural authority because they have some love with regard to what relationship is and recognize its changing, changeable nature comes and goes. Like the good lady once said from California, I've been married eight times and... each of my marriages has been a great success I like that attitude just going with the ebb the ebb ebb and flow how many times have you been married to them? a few she says anyway sometimes 
don't know if you have that at home. You, you, uh, maybe you don't. Um, you, you're going upstairs to get something. <laughs> have you had this? And you get halfway up the stairs and you think, hell, what was it I've gone up here to get? <laughs> and you realise you have to go and do a retreat on mindfulness. And, so. <laughs> and you can be sitting on the stairs, halfway up the stairs. And then you can't remember if you were going up the stairs for something <laughs> or coming down the stairs for something. <laughs> for this reason alone, it's better to live in an apartment than in a house. <laughs> I guess I should not have jumped naked on him in front of his wife. Who's the wife? Who's the wife? Sometimes we get close, we go naked towards, and we realize, whoa, I am not only taking on the constable, I'm taking along all the shadows, all that goes along with it. Because I'm a human being, and I'm keenly interested to transform something which is destructive for me, destructive for our earth, destructive for other sentient beings. I do not want to live in a destructive way. Therefore, sometimes, sometimes, it's formidable and challenging hard what we have to face. And sometimes that can be, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes in relationship as much as out of it. Just as the Burmese Buddhist monks said to me the other day, Coming in India makes him practice areas in himself which he didn't know he had to practice when he was in Burma. And some would say, having been in relationship, there have been areas which I have to look at which I didn't know I had to look at through being in relationship. The exploration of life is blessed madness. Anything. The blessed madness. The, the, uh, I was hoping I'd get to the end. I'd better tell us a little bit. So, about um, four years ago, no, yeah. in terms of Dharma and teaching and practice and uh, exploration, I, no, last year, over here, I was um, giving a. <laughs> I'll get to it in a minute. It's time to get older. You can't remember yesterday from tomorrow. I was giving a um, retreat. It was called Love, Sex and Dharma. I did say love is one extreme. Dharma is the other. Sex is the middle way, but it worked in the middle. No, 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 very bad. And I mentioned... In the, uh, the, the retreat, that two things I mentioned. One is <coughs> that I hadn't kissed a woman for two and a half years. Probably because no woman would want to kiss me, but anyway. <laughs> and the uh, second, what was the second? Oh, yes. That if, <laughs> if by some strange circumstances, I started a new relationship. I said I had the feeling that I've already met her, but I didn't know it. it was going to be a relationship. I already, I already met this person. I had no idea, honestly, no idea. So, when I was in uh, Australia, with Radha, uh, she's teaching us in Saranath, and uh, Subana, and the outcome of uh, oh this and knowing this person four, four years ago etc so I um, was in Brisbane with my good, uh, uh, good mother who I've never taken any notice of and asked, invited the person to come to Totnes where I, where I live So when I was in Totnes, I was talking to uh, my good friends there in the coffee shop. 
And I said, what was happening for me with my love life? And I said, I haven't lived with a woman, this is true, I haven't lived with a woman for 20 years, since 1985. I've been in relationship, I haven't lived with a woman for 20 years. And now I've made this uh, invitation. And my friend said, do you think you should wait just a few years longer? <laughs> <laughs> like 20 or 30 years, there it is. <coughs> mention, all, mention all of this. And if you kindly do all your prayers, pujas and mantras for me over the next year. <laughs> Actually, no, for her. <laughs> I just mentioned this, that sometimes with love and the expressions of it, whether it's the love of intimacy. And I, both uh, Radha and uh, Subhan, who've known me for, for years, as Subhan has said, <coughs> in 1976, uh, she very kindly invited me to uh, give my retreat in Australia. It was the first re- retreat in the West that I gave, and uh, Subhana uh, organized it. I know what you're thinking. She must have been very young. She was, she was about five or six years of age. At, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, people like me will accept any invitation. We don't mind the age at all. <laughs> So I, and, and uh, I go on a little bit more here. So Jaya <coughs> sent me an email in, a, in April. Sent me an email in April. Christopher, we're doing mantras and pujas and uh, for you to find a companion. We, we think you need a companion. So she sent me an email about it. Within one year. Very, very sweet. So Jaya's been doing these pujas and mantras for me. <laughs> and then Subhan, who's a psychotherapist, and Radha, who's a psychotherapist, I had to check with them, you know, <laughs> etc. And having got the approval of the triple gem, <laughs> there, so I've gone ahead and made the, made the invitation uh, there when I get back from uh, India. Apart from great. Sometimes with love, it moves in the field of the knowns to the unknown. That's the point. When moving in the field from the known to the unknown, some risk. And the risk is the love, the wisdom, the kindness, the connection, the exploration, uh, and so forth. And I think it's important in life, with love, whether in relationship or not in relationship, Sometimes there is an edge to it, and it's the great edge of life, which invites us, which asks us, which encourages us to take the risk, whatever. And there's something beautiful uh, uh, about that, because we are so pressurized, I feel, with the pursuit of security. Uh, just taking risks for a period in our life, like going to India or whatever it might be. <coughs> the preciousness of life is that it's so unreliable, it's so inconsistent, it is so insecure, that it doesn't offer any guarantee. That's what life is. Okay, let me be true to it. Let me learn to feel that sensation. Let me learn to feel not sure what's next. Let me learn to walk on those edges and embrace those edges there. And something rather challenging and touching and profound and liberating and enlightening can come out because we've said, hey, I'm not going to spend my life in control. I'm not going to spend my life wrapped up (coughs) in fear of the policeman. I'm not going to uh, uh, spend my, my life in trying to be sane. I'd rather have blessed madness. So she finishes, and I'll finish. I guess I shouldn't have jumped naked on him in front of his wife. The hypocrite, he wouldn't have complained at all if we were alone. The hypocrite, he wouldn't have complained at all if we were alone. 
none of us in the deepest sense is actually ever alone neither with ourself nor with the world around us and to feel this great thread and theme of the interconnectedness of sky above and earth below to feel our sense of making this collective journey through life through seeing what is the essential freedom since life is extraordinarily free in the nature there are no laws in the nature there are no rules in the nature there are no commandments there's this extraordinary unfolding going on we have naturally a profound intimacy with it all and in this natural unfolding that's going on and this profound intimacy with it all it means there is no problem with it may all beings live with awareness may all beings explore the heart of love may all (coughs) beings know a profound intimacy have a quiet minute shall we